This week on Dave and Dom Demystify, we'll be talking about design thinking. Now, when I suggested they talk about Ted Baker or Armani, <laughs> Dave and Dom looked at me like I'd gone round the bend. But then they said, No, no, no. Instead, we're going to talk about the double diamond. The double diamond. Ooh. From the studios of Contrarian, new media in the UK and US, comes the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. Dave and Dom Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dom Mystery. Demystify. Morning, everybody, and great to have you back again on the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. Today I have Dave and I'm going to ask him some questions to demystify the topic of design thinking. This is an area that, quite frankly, is this not just the reinvention of iterative prototypes? Where I'm being thick. Well, I think iterative prototyping is actually one of the steps that forms part of the design thinking process. So I'm not going to kind of throw that out. But I think the point of design thinking is about taking a much more customer-centric approach to solving problems. And I think what we're looking at when we're going through the process is how do you meet the needs of customers and how do you understand what those needs actually are? Companies didn't really look at this from a customer perspective before. Is that the difference? Well, no, I, I don't mean to be too down on the technology industry, but in many ways what we've kind of seen over the years is that people invent technology to solve a problem and then they relentlessly chase after that problem without really then going back and saying, well, how does this fit into the context of a person's lives and how can it really solve the problems that they've got? So there's a mismatch between what customers are looking for and what some of these solutions are trying to do. Okay, I mean, it still sounds like a fancy name to something that when I was at Lloyds Bank, I was lucky enough to have a laptop at that time and a mobile phone at the time when those things were quite expensive. And I was actually allowed to kind of build prototypes, take them into branches. Again, another thing that at the time wasn't really heard of. We didn't have IT people go and speak directly to the end users. We had these middlemen in head office telling us what the branch people needed, right? So this was the first time we were actually going into branches to the end users, showing them something that solved a problem and getting their feedback. I mean, is it much more different than that? It is. I mean, it, again, you're on the path to design thinking by actually involving end users as part of the problem. So let me kind of take it back to how you can go through the process, what the process is, and actually kind of demonstrate where I think the difference is between what you've just described in terms of you came up with a prototype and then you tested it with people. I think that's a very traditional kind of technical approach. 
I'm much more interested in, let's start with a problem statement. So, for example, I did some work with a major bank last year, and their problem was conversion rates in internet banking were very low. So that's the problem. So you could go straight into internet banking and you could say, well, nobody could see the adverts because they've kind of gone banner blind or all the messaging's terrible, etc., etc. So you can immediately go into solutionizing or you could kind of take a step back and say, well, let's go and talk to people and actually see what's going on and really understand what the issues might be. So in this instance, we went and we had a chat with 10 people. So it was a kind of research session where we had a kind of loose agenda, but was very conversational in terms of approach. And actually, what we then discovered through the process was that there were all sorts of unmet needs that people had from a bank perspective. And The net result was people felt there was a kind of barrier between them and their banks. And that barrier was described in terms of their digital channels. So many of the people we talked to felt that they'd been pushed away by the banks. They weren't welcome in branches, that call centres were very difficult to get in touch with. And they viewed the kind of digital platforms, the internet banking services that had Although they kind of liked them, they just viewed them as very transactional tools. So they weren't going in with a mindset of, let's look at what else might be available. And the banks were not bringing them messages which were kind of relevant to them or advice or information. So actually what you had was a kind of psychological problem which customers had in terms of the way that they were engaging with the bank. And to unpick that requires an awful lot in terms of the context, the messaging, the way that messaging is presented. So there's an awful lot more to that one problem than simply saying, let's just fix the banner adverts and where those banner adverts sit. So there, you take all those insights and you kind of map those insights out as part of the process and then group them together. And it's fairly obvious after a while that you've got territories emerging in terms of problems and issues. You know, what I like to do is write those up on post-it notes and paste those up on the wall. So everybody then, as part of the project team, has kind of visibility of those things. And when you kind of walk through that, the post-it notes and the groupings, what you then start doing is opening your mind to possibilities. I hope that kind of makes sense so far, Dan. No, that absolutely makes sense. Hands up, I'm guilty of creating a solution to a problem that I thought existed. Right? Yeah. So this validates all of that and gets a breadth of views on what the real issues might be. Exactly, exactly. And I think once you've kind of got that broader view, then the idea of the process is to actually sort of prioritise those things. So some things are easy to solve, some things are very difficult to solve, some things cost money. You go through a kind of prioritisation process and then you basically come up with your hit list of these are the things that you need to kind of consider as part of the design process or the development process. And that actually is a brief which you then start ideating around. So we've gone through this whole research process without even touching prototypes or anything. You know, going back to your original example, there's a lot more you can do up front to inform that prototype in the first place. Yeah, I guess what I'm hearing as well is that 
if indeed a prototype or a technology is the answer to a problem anyway. So this seems to be much broader than what just IT can deliver, right? That's absolutely true. And I think one of the issues in the industry right now is that even when design thinking is used, people end up saying, well, the solution is more digital. That's what we're ultimately being paid for. But one of the things I'm starting to notice is that's not necessarily true. And you're right. You know, so there may be analogue solutions to problems that people have. What I think the industry needs to be doing is calling those out. But at least through this process, those thinking, those ideas are up on the wall so nobody can escape them. I should have added, and I think this is really critical as well, is on a project team, having visibility of all of these things is important. So, you know, when we work on projects, there is no separation between us as a team and our clients. Everybody's welcome to come and have a look at what's going on. And ideas can come from any place. Inspiration can come from any place as well. So what this forces is a kind of very flat way of actually going through a project process. And I think that's quite different Many of the waterfall processes I've seen before where a team comes up with requirements, that's then pushed down into development. You know, everybody is involved in this process. Great, great. So I've heard also this terminology, which I think is associated with design thinking, double diamond. Yeah, so the double diamond is essentially two phases of a design thinking process. So what I've just been through in terms of the research and the analysis is phase one of the diamond. You start with a problem statement and then you explode that out, understanding more about what's going on around the problem And then you focus the analysis out of that research into a brief, as I say. And then the brief needs to be exploded out into multiple solutions as well. So going back to your iterative prototyping point, at the point you have a brief, rather than coming up with one thing, what we like to do is iterate very quickly around a range of options. So come up with multiple options around solutions to the problem itself you're basically kind of exploding that out in terms of the next diamond. And, you know, what you end up with is, you know, a multitude of possible solutions. And those can be everything from words on a post-it note to sketches on a piece of paper to inspiration from, I don't know, other people's websites or whatever. And then once you've kind of got that pool of ideas and thinking is kind of refined those down. And that refining process is where you kind of get more into developing prototypes. So you as a team can look at all the ideas and then you can vote for the top three. Or in some instances, you get customers in and explain this is the problem. These are the observations and these are some of the solutions. But the idea is you prioritize and vote for the winning solutions out of that. So what you end up doing is developing maybe out of, I don't know, 20 ideas, three options and pushing those into paper prototypes. Great. So why is all this kind of necessary, do you think, for organisations now? Is digital a key driving factor or, or this is just a new methodology that applies irrespective of digital? I think for a start, it's not necessarily a new methodology. It's just a very important methodology. And I think it applies to everything more broadly. 
What's great about it from a digital point of view, though, is the requirements that you end up building are kind of very informed by customers. And as a process, it's very flexible and it means that you can embed customer thinking in terms of what you do. And honestly, I think we're at the point in the digital revolution where success or failure in terms of products and services that are being developed are going to be based on whether customers are connecting with these things or not. You know, I really think you'd have to be a brave organisation to embark on spending lots of money on something without really involving this process. Cool. And then, you know, one thing that comes to mind just in the current climate is that it sounds like a really collaborative approach, right? And when you talk about sticky notes, etc., can this be done remotely? I mean, can it be done online? Yeah, or, I mean... Or does everyone have to be in a room? So, yeah, you can absolutely do this remotely. There's various services out there. There's something called Miro, which is basically virtual post-it notes. Gosh, there's so many other tools which are emerging to actually facilitate. So you've got... Tools like Figma, where it's part of prototyping, you can come up with screens and prototypes very, very quickly. So, yeah, absolutely, this can be done remotely. And actually, in terms of talking to customers, you don't have to do that face-to-face. People are more and more able to do things through video calls. But I think the important thing is engaging with everybody as part of the process, whether that's face-to-face or virtually. We focus on banks and insurance companies, right? And that's our kind of background, but it applies to any organisation. But especially with banks, I guess they're used to a way of working. What's your best advice for adopting design thinking? I think it's actually start the process by going out and talking to customers. Just go and have conversations with your customers and listen to what they say. You know, maybe come up with some thoughts around potential issues that you see or kind of problem areas and then just actually listen to what these people have to say. I think if you do that, it will open your mind to the possibility of what that customer thinking can actually do for you as a business. I've worked with you, with banks, over many, many years, and they're brilliant at doing customer research. They'll spend a fortune on quantitative and qualitative research, and they'll then sort of spend a fortune on the presentations to kind of have those presented back to them. But what I've found is that people are very bad at listening to what customers are actually saying. The things that we're doing at the moment with one of the ventures that I've got going is something called kitchen table research where we're just sort of sitting down with people and shooting the breeze about money and finance and kind of seeing what comes out of it. The conversations and the stories really get you thinking. Is that your kitchen table? Because I know your kitchen table is laden with good food so count me in the next one. (laughs) Well yeah, I mean any kitchen table will do to be honest with you. Well with good food helps I think. Yeah, absolutely. And a bit of alcohol and things like that. (laughs) But my point is one of the research is very open. It's conversational. It's unthreatening. It's not directed around a particular thing. And I've heard so many things come out of it, which have just sparked so many thoughts in my head about where I think digital experiences in the finance industry could be improved. One thing that comes to mind, certainly for me, is when I look at banking from a customer perspective, right, and maybe this is a topic for another day, but from what you've said, if banks listen to me, 
then the last thing that I'd be launching is a better bank. I don't want better banking. I just want to get on with the things in my life that involve money much more easily. You know, it's like the Uber thing. I don't necessarily want a taxi or to deal with money, etc. I just want to get from A to B. And I think that's what's missing in the banks. You know, if you ask me as a customer, I don't want to deal with transactions and internet banking and blah, blah, blah. All of these things should be in the background of the things that I really want. If I want to go to a cinema, I just want to be able to walk in and find a seat. And somebody tells me that the payments already come out of my account. Well, that, you know? yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And this is the point is... Has the bank come to you and sort of had a fairly broad discussion around, you know, what your expectations are? So if you look at the banking industry, the thinking that kind of underpins most of it is, I don't know, legacy of 300-year-old thinking, which is there. Technology and customer behaviour has moved on beyond that whole thing. So one of the things with COVID we're seeing is that people are not going into branches. Like, branches are for distressed visits only, and people are using digital. So to the point I made around conversions earlier on is if the only place that banks can do business with their customers is within the digital channels, those digital channels need to behave in a different way to the way they're currently doing because people like you have very different expectations about what their experience is. So what you're seeing is people like Amazon with Amazon Go where you can actually walk into a retail outlet, pick up something and walk out again, starting to solve some of the problems that you're actually talking about. That's a retail operation solving potentially banking problems, you know. And I think this is where it's going to get interesting in terms of the kind of industry itself. Going out and actually talking to people um, will really fuel kind of ideas for what happens next in the next generation of banking. You and I are very passionate about engagement and how data can be used to drive that engagement. And, you know, I think that's the kind of next frontier is sort of, engaging active customer experiences in banking. But I'm not going to go and say, well, this is the Dave Wallace view without going and talking to people in terms of what I think they're kind of looking for. Great stuff. If I was to summarise, design thinking is much broader than just an IT solution. It could be any part of the business and the solution itself might involve zero IT. Absolutely. So it might be just changing a process or messaging even, right? My take on the last bit that you said is that fundamentally it could even change your business model. Yes. Right? So you might find that actually banking isn't the problem. It's something else that, you know, if you want to solve it for the customer, you're going to have to step out of banking potentially even. That to me sounds really exciting. And then the approach is this two days kind of thing. Why One, you really expand out the research in a collaborative way involving real end customers and a breadth of people within the organization. And then the second step is you start to look at a number of solutions and test each one of those solutions to find, you know, the one that you might deploy later on. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, no, I think that's thing? absolutely right. My final point on this is to do this doesn't cost a lot of money. It's the cost of actually going and talking to 10 people. You don't need to talk to a lot of people to get insight, you know. It's just a case of starting. So, yeah, that's a great summary. But my advice is, if you're not doing it, start today. Fantastic. So I think I've learned a lot there and I'll probably go out and 
charge a few dollars for design thinking consultancy as well now. Knowing you, you're going to come up with a triple diamond, aren't you? Because we've forgotten <laughs> a step somewhere along the line. So anyway, great to chat and thanks for listening. Brilliant. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.